he loves people and, and he's oppressively optimistic about people and who they are and what their spirit is. That's Amy Reifert, the women's soccer coach at the University of Chicago, talking about her father, Coast Guard volunteer assistant basketball coach, Wade Howley. We joked about his rose-colored glasses for sure. His glass was never half full. It was always three quarters full. And there's just this certain joy and ease to my dad that absolutely came out to those kids, which makes you feel even that much better. Wade Howley was a Connecticut native who was a Hall of Fame basketball and tennis player at Loyola University of Maryland in the 1950s. He became a lawyer, then a teacher. He and his wife, Mary, raised seven children back in the Nutmeg State. Wade Howley taught and coached for 35 years. He became friendly with the people at both Connecticut College and the Coast Guard Academy and helped with the Coast Guard tennis team. He also connected with the basketball program and for a couple of years was a volunteer assistant coach. And he was on the bench for both the 2007 and 2008 NUMAC champion Bears. What he thought about Coast Guard was that it's a really special place. They were so humble, and he was always so impressed by who they were, what they were accomplished, and what they were going off to do, that I think in his mind, the ability to to work with those kids and to be a part of this success I'm sure nothing made him happier. This is team co-captain Al Sowers. The thing I remember most about him is he never sat still. Like he was always fidgeting or sitting up and sitting back and sitting up and sitting back. It was like he was more nervous for the games than we were. And then freshman Brett Huntley. Coach Wade was at almost every practice. He was at every home game. He loved being around the program, loved being around the guys, had a great connection with Coach Barry. Just a real pleasure to be around, and it was cool to get his perspective from time to time, sitting on the bench and being able to ask him questions. He was always there. He was passionate about basketball. He was passionate about the Bears. We loved having him. He always had a seat on the bench with us. Yeah, we really respected him. Wade Howley died in September 2012 at age 78. The Coast Guard men's basketball program was a small part of his life, but he made an impact on the players and the team, and they made an impact on him. He was a place where he felt really respected and and appreciated and loved. It warms my heart, but doesn't surprise me to hear that people have remembered him and what he did. Welcome to our bonus episode. There's more to remember. This is the episode for the things that we really, really liked, but just couldn't quite fit in. And that starts with some of the team's other players. At guard, six foot three, from Stafford, Virginia, number 52, Justin Fellers! You heard from Justin Fellers way back in episode 3 when we talked about the academic rigor of the academy. Justin gave us a walkthrough of a day in the life. You're at like 18 to 21 credits every semester. It's a lot. Justin was friends with Jeff Preback, Craig Johnson, and a number of the Coast Guard basketball players who encouraged him to try out for the team as a junior, even though he didn't play high school basketball. Justin was a good athlete, though. He'd previously been on the rowing team. 
Justin's role on the 2007 and 2008 teams was to be as annoying a practice player as possible. This is team co-captain Grant Johnson. Uh, Justin Fellers, one practice every two weeks. He'd have like a practice like a hand touched by God where everything he shot went in. 360 baseline jumpers. And he'd just walk walk away like, oh yeah, I do that all the time. And he, he'd torch Jeff or Craig like it was nothing every once in a while. But, but basically Jeff was like, just when you're in practice, you're not trying to impress anybody. Just... He's just played really hard. And Jeff even told me, he's just foul me really hard. Like, just foul me a lot. Foul Craig a lot. I started like that. And, and I remember Coach Bono, he came out and he's like, you're fouling him up here pretty hard. He's like, but I like, I like the aggressiveness. Don't hurt him. Justin didn't look particularly imposing on the court, but he was someone who, in a position of student military leadership, made the underclassmen nervous. This is Matt Eads. He was probably the meanest cadre out of all of them. And so I like didn't like him at all. And then we ended up playing basketball together and I realized he's a great guy. Justin has the distinction for being the one member of the basketball team for whom the chant Navy Rejects by Trinity fans was accurate. But Navy's loss was the Coast Guard's gain. And Justin's gain too. We were the tightest group of people. So our legacy, I think, is the fact that we just Maybe a little biker gang as far as how much we'd be willing to look out for each other. Justin has had a highly successful career in the Coast Guard. He was the commanding officer on ships sailing out of Alaska and Bahrain. Justin just got his master's and is currently a math teacher at the academy. He and his wife, Coast Guard All-American volleyball player Nicole Gurr, have two children. Net guard! Five foot eleven from Valley City, Ohio, number forty-five, Adam Radke. Adam Radke grew up in the Cleveland area and barely knew the Coast Guard existed until he saw pilots rescuing people during Hurricane Katrina. He applied to the academy and was waitlisted. The wait lasted until three weeks before reporting day for Swab Summer, when he was granted admission. Adam scored a total of 20 points as a high school senior. His high school basketball highlight tape was three minutes long, but Coach Bono got in touch, and Adam was able to make the Coast Guard Academy basketball team for the 07-08 season. Adam was the last man on the depth chart that year. His role was to lighten the mood. I didn't know if I had a role, but I realized like the guys wanted to include me in things and really wanted me to feel a part of it. I don't know if it's comic relief or just like a different character in the locker room. I was a pep talker. That's a good thing. And I started giving pregame speeches because we, we lost a few games after Christmas break. And then Grant was like, hey, Adam, like before we go out to a game, like you got the huddle. So I made a like a kind of a random speech up. It was actually, this is really interesting. I think this was the game we won and then we didn't lose again until the Elite Eight. And we were in an away locker room. I looked down at the ground. I didn't know what to say. And it had all these different tiles. And there was no pattern to the tiles. We all had our hands in the huddle. And I said, guys, if anyone's wondering, there is no pattern to the tiles that we're standing on. And everyone kind of just laughed about it. And was like, that is the most random thing. And I was like, go team on three. 
I, I started to give like our, our breakdown, like little pep talks. It was very short. It was usually very random. That was like my one thing I did. I think the guys liked, I hope they remember, because this is like a big part of my life. I'm like, I had a really good speech about the tiles on the floor. Team co-captain Grant Johnson remembers Adam for something else. He took practices really, really seriously. I remember one instance, probably towards the end of the year, uh, Coach Barry made a bad call, a lot of bad calls during practice probably gave the starters the ball back after a bad turnover or made a bad foul call. Adam yells out, uh, silent Jim. These are my games. This matters to me. Get it right. And we're all shocked because this freshman has just yelled at the head coach really intensely. And we kind of nervously laugh like, all right, how's this going to go over? And in true Barry form, I think Barry chuckled was impressed by Adam for standing up for himself, was impressed by his intensity, and said, all right, all right, calm down. You're going to get yours. I'll make it up to you. Just play some play some gosh darn defense. You'll get it. When Coast Guard made the NCAA tournament, there was an issue. Teams were only allowed to dress 15 players. Coast Guard was over that limit, and Adam was told he'd be sitting out and not traveling to Ursinus for the Sweet 16 and Elite 8. And then Justin Church and Craig, and they're like, you have to come with us. We don't care like if you're going to suit or not. Like You need to be a part of this. So I definitely I felt valued for sure. As minimal as my role was, I think my stat line on the year, I think I had one turnover. Didn't really matter. The guys valued having me around in the locker room on the bus. So I, I was more than happy, as homesick as I was, to say, Forget spring break, I'm going to stick with the guys, and I'm glad I did. Adam Radke earned a starting position on the basketball team his junior and senior year, averaging about eight points per game. He played hard. Adam served five years in the Coast Guard and then got his MBA at Michigan State. Since 2017, he's worked at Johnson & Johnson and lives not far from Philadelphia with his wife, former Coast Guard basketball star Jennifer Taminen, and their two daughters. He credits the Coast Guard Academy for giving him the tools to work well under pressure. I've learned I think best when I'm calm. So when I was commissioned and conning officer on one of the cutters out in San Diego, we doing different evolutions on the ship. It was very fast paced, a lot of moving parts, 40 people on the bridge. And for me, I learned that in stressful situations, staying calm, I think better. I guess I'll say I'm like the Hulk, like Bruce Banner, right? You got to keep his heart rate down. So he can keep thinking kind of in his scientific manner. And it's it served me pretty well so far. Head guard, six foot one, from Messina, New York. Number 30, Brett Huntley. Brett Huntley came to the Coast Guard Academy from upstate New York, near the Canadian border. He learned that basketball at the academy would be a little different from high school in one of his first practices with the team and fellow freshman Javon James. I remember one play I had. I had the ball on a fast break, and Javon was on my team coming down the right-hand side. And I just remember, I was like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to throw him an alley-oop. And it was horrible. I didn't grow up with people who could dunk the ball very well. So we weren't throwing oops in upstate New York. But I put it up. It was a bad pass. Javon must have had his head over the rim and his hand arched way back and dunked it. And I was just like, oh, okay. 
One of our episodes was titled Perseverance, and for good reason. Several players talked about how important learning that trait was. You learn how to take things in stride better. You really teach you how to persevere. Because like I said, there's tons of demands on you. There's a lot of ups and downs at the Coast Guard Academy. So really just learning how to persevere, rely on the people around you, become a team. And as you become a junior officer and an officer, and you go from that learning mode when you first graduate as a JO, to if you're able to command your own ship or be an XO of a ship someday, you can take those times at the academy with you and you go through these tough times with people, but you got to rely on them because they're, they're the people right next to you when you're out in the middle of the ocean. And if something happens, you're taking on water or you're on a long search case and you haven't slept in X amount of hours or you're doing it in the middle of a drug bust and your buddy's going up to watch to relieve you. You learn how to just like persevere through those really hard times because it's not only at the Coast Guard Academy. Once you get out and graduate, you're an officer and you're out and you're afloat and you're doing the mission, there's hard times around just about every day. Brett Huntley is currently an MBA candidate at Boston College pursuing interests in financial management. He should earn his master's in 2022. Oh, and he wants to clear up one misconception about Coast Guard athletes. A common misconception about the Coast Guard Academy in terms of athletics is that we're not specialized athletes or more muscle than skill or more brawn than being able to have real intricate skills. I think our guys were skilled, super skilled. I'd put the shot of Grant Johnson up against anyone, the post moves of Craig up against anyone when we played, the passing ability of Al against anybody, and then, yeah, the ability to finish from Jeff Preback. At forward, six foot four, from Indianapolis, Indiana, number 55, Jonathan Jonathan Lang loves basketball. Makes sense, right? Considering he's from Indianapolis, and he was worshipping Purdue University pretty much from birth. John's family also has a rich military history. Both of his grandfathers served in the Navy during World War II. His great-uncle served in and was killed in Vietnam, and another uncle served in Iraq. John was tall and thin, maybe 160 pounds as a freshman, and he saw only a little playing time that year, the 2008 season. But the senior class left a big impression on him. They were tough, and that's the word I'd probably go back to time and time again with that group, and that's something that I love because I think my style of play was a tough style of play. I couldn't shoot worth a lick, I can't score worth a lick, but I could uh, die for loose balls and throw bows with the best of them. And, and I think that group of guys had that uh, toughness. I'm fine getting getting hammered a little bit and stuff there uh, with elbows and playing physical and stuff. So I might have been not the strongest kid, but I, I ain't backing down to anyone. That toughness, that grit, that never giving up, always competing. That's the kind of ball I like to be around and, and the team that I like to be around. And blue collar is, is definitely the word I'd use with it. And uh, I appreciate them for that to this day. Though John didn't play in the NCAA tournament, he fully appreciated it for what it was, especially at Trinity when the Bears pulled off the first of their three straight upsets. That crowd just taunting us like none other, that we're never going to get by uh, UMass and stuff, and you guys are lucky, and I've never seen such visceral hate from uh, in my own game. Even with all the, the, the storied history of Indiana high school basketball, that was probably the most intense environment was that student section, and I love it, man. I, I love being the villain. John Lang was, was a pest 
and I say that in with the with the most admiration to a guy who didn't get any playing time. He came and played hard every practice with a little like snarl on his lip. Jonathan Lang played basketball for all four years at Coast Guard and got more time as he got older and a little stronger. He graduated in 2011. A picture of him shaking hands with President Obama at graduation circulated widely. John has done most of his work the last 10 years at sea. He continues to follow basketball avidly. In fact, he watched the men's team's comeback win versus WPI in the championship game in 2020. John married another athlete. His wife, Katie, was a Division II Volleyball All-American. They have a large family, five kids, and love the outdoors. I can't um, say enough for the Coast Guard and, and what it's done personally and what it's been. I have a wife because of the Coast Guard. I have degrees because of the Coast Guard, healthcare. I'm getting to see, I, I lived in Alaska. I've lived in Louisiana. I've lived in, you know, Connecticut and everywhere in between, it seems, because of the Coast Guard. So for me, the Coast Guard is opportunity, and I'll always be thankful for that. John has also studied both theology and philosophy. In fact, he's currently going for a master's in philosophy at Marquette University. At center, six foot eight, from Bedford, New Hampshire, number thirty, Matt Eads. Matt Eads followed the path of his brother Kevin to Coast Guard. Kevin was a center on the 3 and 20 Bears. Matt fully admits that after a tough year at Naval Prep that his heart wasn't necessarily fully into basketball. He played lacrosse too and liked that more, so his stay on the basketball team was brief, only one season. But he was on the team for a heck of a year, the 2007 championship season. I was scout team most of the time, honestly, just happy to be there. Like, it was just it was just part of a community, right? As a freshman, you need an identity. You need to have something other than just the BS of freshman year. And people that don't play sports really struggle. And that kind of gives you an immediate friend group. And it gives you escapes to, you know, going on, going to Chicago for the trip and then just like getting out on the weekend, missing inspections because you're with the team. And then, you know, your teammates take care of you. I don't know how people survive without having a, a sport, where, which becomes your identity for sure that first year. Matt had no regrets about leaving the basketball program and said he was touched by Coach Barry and Coach Bono being sad when he told them he was leaving to focus only on lacrosse. He graduated from the academy and got a master's from the University of Washington focusing on environmental policy. Both Matt and his brother have had highly successful military careers. Matt is currently a lieutenant commander and the chief of emergency management at the Coast Guard Sector Boston. His brother has a similar role in San Diego. And Matt wanted me to give a message specifically to those who might not be happy with their basketball careers. I was humbled that you reached out to a benchwarmer like myself. So to all the benchwarmers out there, it's going to be okay. Get forward, six foot four, from Brantford, Connecticut, number 25, Trip. Fernandez! It's a journey, right? It's this long process from where you start to where you finish. Jay Fernandez III, a.k.a. Tripp, knew he wanted to serve in the military from when he was eight years old, first aspiring to the Navy, then after learning more about the academy in his home state, to Coast Guard. 
Tripp was another of the freshmen who played scout team, who tried to annoy the older players by playing tough physical defense against them. During the Bears' late season run through the 2008 NCAA tournament, Tripp could often be seen jumping off the bench during a timeout, cheering enthusiastically for his teammates. I know I'm I'm not going to play. What can I do? So on the bench, I can just bring a lot of energy. So during every timeout, I would jump off the bench and just try to radiate energy to the players because they're the ones in the battle and they need energy. So energy is contagious. And the more I had, the more they'd have. Tripp said that he learned a valuable lesson from playing for Coach Barry. The one thing that I'll never forget about him was, I guess you could say his loyalty. So regardless of the situation you were in, academically, militarily, like he had your back 100, 110%. He was there for you all the way. He would be by your side and it's like, listen, it's you and me to the end. I don't care about anybody else. That just taught me a lot and how important loyalty is. Tripp's path through the academy was not a smooth one. He admits now that he came to school immature. He twice got in significant trouble, though both infractions were victimless offenses. He was disenrolled, but allowed to return after briefly attending the University of Connecticut. He credits both Craig Johnson and Admiral Barho for getting him on the right path. Before getting disenrolled, it was just like, oh, I'm in college, I just want to party, I don't care about all this other stuff. After that, it was, I don't care about partying, I just, I want to, I want to graduate, I want to be an officer in the Coast Guard, I want to serve my country, that's what I'm here to do. 30-year-old Trip is a lot different from 18-year-old Trip. Trip served in both Florida and Washington State, and was on the first surface vessel to make it to the North Pole unaccompanied. He worked on collaborative research projects as part of the Geotraces program. Tripp later returned to the academy as a chemistry professor. Tripp recently finished serving as the head of a patrol boat, supporting the Navy's work in the Persian Gulf. He's now teaching fundamentals of navigation at the academy. The the biggest thing that the academy taught me was, or it provided me, was the confidence to, to take something that I know nothing about to research, to, to do the due diligence, and then pr- produce or provide a, a good product. And I think as an athlete, they talk about adversity. You see adversity every single day, whether it's in practice or on the court at the, during a game, a competition, a match. You're going to be dealing with curveballs all the time. And it's how you adjust. How are you going to hit that curveball? That really is how you succeed. At guard, six feet from Houston, Texas. Number 23, Justin Williams. I am Justin Williams, and I was a guard on the 2007 Coast Guard Championship men's basketball team. Justin Williams was an exchange cadet at the academy for the fall semester in 2006, while he was enrolled as a student and future Army officer at West Point. And it's a really prestigious thing to do. We only sent five West Point cadets that year out of about a thousand to the Coast Guard Academy. And so it it was truly a a special experience and one that's very unique, even um, among the, the experiences that most West Pointers do have. I majored in systems engineering and I found the engineering program at the Coast Guard Academy to be very rigorous, but also very, very rewarding experience studying with them. 
Justin's new academy friends encouraged him to participate with the basketball team in its off-season workout program. Workouts turned into an invite to be on the team through the fall semester. So I really actually liked my role on the team. I made it a goal of mine to be uh, the hardest worker, and that was tough every single day. And I will not go so far as to say that I was the hardest worker on the team, but I certainly tried, especially since I only had a semester with them. I wanted to be like the best competition that I could for them. So I did, I played one game. I could truly say that I played in a, in a college basketball game. So I didn't have the same level of responsibility. For me, it just really made it about the fun and the camaraderie. Justin returned to West Point for the spring semester and thus missed out on the Coast Guard's late season magic. But in a fun coincidence, he ended up winning a basketball championship too. My experience at West Point, I mostly played intramural or at the, at the intramural or club level. So in transitioning to a varsity sport at Coast Guard, I had a newfound appreciation for, for what varsity athletes did. So at West Point, we have intramurals and we have brigade level championships, which is the entire school. So all 4,000. Well, the next semester, there was three on three basketball. I and one of the seniors following my experience with Coast Guard basketball, we actually led our company's team to the brigade championship and won. Justin Williams is currently an Army major. He previously served in South Korea and Germany. Currently, he works for the Department of Defense as part of the group advising on United States foreign policy in North Africa and the Middle East. There are a couple of other people we don't want to forget about. Start with Frank Chesky, the one player who wouldn't talk to me for this project, but who played a valuable role in the win over Babson. Frank quit basketball after the 2007 season. He played football. Frank is still in the Coast Guard and was promoted to Lieutenant Commander in 2020. A Google search nets that he's been a search and rescue pilot. Howard H.B. Baker, who was one of the captains when the Magnificent Seven were freshmen, was one of the people, along with co-captain Dan Shepard, who looked out for his younger teammates. H.B. has worked in migrant interdiction and as a search and rescue pilot. He has a master's degree from Johns Hopkins and currently works doing budgets for the Office of Aeronautical Engineering at Coast Guard Headquarters in Washington, D.C. He wishes he'd gotten to play more, but was very happy for the future success that his teammates had. What an amazing experience for those guys. And I mean, you couldn't find a better group of guys for that to happen to. And H.B. was also pleased to hear of the positive impact that he had on the team. My broadcast partner, Scott Sieplick, has had quite the eventful post-broadcasting career. Scott had played soccer at the school, then eventually came back to be the aide to Academy Superintendent Admiral Scott Burhoe. Sieplick, the son of the former athletic director Ray Sieplick, is the adventurous type. He's gone on to be a special agent for the FBI and was one of the lead investigators on the Boston Marathon bombing. He is a walking advertisement for the value of the Coast Guard experience, having experienced many highs and lows along the way. You really take pride in the fact that the sacrifices that you're going to make at the United States Coast Guard Academy are for a greater goal at the end of the uh, four years. And then when you graduate, you're going to realize, man, even some of those things that you thought you had a great perspective on, you just have a lot of personal growth and maturity there. Scott's father, Academy Athletic Director Ray Sieplick, 
retired from his job in 2010. He and his wife Kathy currently live in Rhode Island. Speaking of Admiral Burho, he retired from the Coast Guard in 2011 after 34 years of service. He spent seven years as the president of Fork Union Military Academy before retiring from that job in 2018. He and his family currently live in Virginia. Three other people that I talked to merit mention. Ryan Kane, the National Player of the Year and star of the WPI team that lost to Coast Guard in 2007, stuck with basketball. He's currently a highly successful coach at Keene State, a Division III school in New Hampshire. Ursinus forward Nick Shattuck, star of the team that beat Coast Guard in the NCAAs, currently lives in California. He works for a company that does moving projects for high-profile celebrities, taking care of their artwork and furniture in transport. And John Noonan, another of the team's stars, is an NBA player agent, representing professional basketball players. And then there's Dave Sowers. Dave is Al Sowers' father, who you heard from in episode two talking about Al's early basketball days. He'd be waiting for me to get home from work, and I'd come in and we'd go out in the garage and have to play one-on-one every day. And in episode three on what it's like on reporting day for Coast Guard parents. Just thinking to myself, man, I'm glad this isn't me. This is Donata Shodinas. This is an example of how to be a father to your son. I'm definitely taking a lot of example for, uh, from Dave and uh, how to support your kids in, in, in the way he did. Dave Sowers is very friendly. He and his family valued every kid on the team, the coaches, the fans, and even the opponents. He once did a swap with a police officer at WPI, one who now has one of Dave's custom-designed Coast Guard basketball shirts. In Al's senior year, Dave Sowers embarked on the perfect season. The Bears went 24-7, and and Dave attended all 31 games. His wife Joanne attended most of them, too. That required either driving from the Baltimore area to New England or getting a flight from Baltimore to Providence and driving to the Academy or its opponent. But it was worth it. I didn't start out the year thinking anything about it. And then I think it was right at the end of the break. And I had made all those games. And I guess it's like 10 games or something before the break. Yeah, they were doing well and it was his last year. So I just thought to myself, I looked at it and I said, you've been all these games so far. I'm going to see if I can keep it going. And then once I made a couple more, then it was like, okay, now I'm committed to doing this. And I'm going to see if I can't make it happen. So I figured it's a once in a lifetime. And I didn't know that they would obviously make that run like they did. We were hoping that they would. But either way, I just figured I think it's a good way to support the kids and support them. And we would get up there and we'd end up taking some of the kids out, some of the players out, stuff after games and stuff. Some of the time, Al would just go back. He'd be so tired, he would sleep. We'd, I'd end up going out with the other guys, taking them out. Of all the games to run into traffic, the Sowers got caught in a massive highway backup before the Trinity game. But they brought good luck with them. When they arrived, the Coast Guard was losing, and the Bears came back to win. My dad always jokes with me, why couldn't I have gone to the Naval Academy? Because growing up in Maryland, the Naval Academy was about 30 minutes from our house, and I would have made his life a lot easier. Shout out to Southwest Airlines for having that, that $50 BWI to Providence flight so he could sneak out at 3 o'clock and 
catch our game and then spend the night at my cousin Sandy's house up in Providence and fly back the next day and only miss a half day of work and didn't miss a game, whether it was last second road trips or last second flights, it didn't matter whether the game was in New York or all the way up in Boston, he was at it. So if you know my dad, he will not be on time to his own funeral. So it's remarkable he made it to the games. It's even more remarkable that he didn't just miss a game because he was late. I've had many good experiences with Dave Sowers, although I did kick him out of my broadcast booth during the new Mac championship game because his pacing was making me nervous. Dave and his wife Joanne still live in Maryland. Also, a shout-out here to all the other parents that I met and got emails from along the way in my time broadcasting for Coast Guard. It was awesome to talk to all of you. One of the questions I asked almost every former Academy student was to give me the sights, sounds, and smells that they most remembered. And we'll get to those in a second, but I want to lead this part off with something different. Multiple people asked if they could instead relate a feeling, a very specific one. This is Adam Radke on behalf of them. And now anytime I think of that front gate, the parade field, like driving up to the gate, almost every person I know that went to the academy gets a feeling in their stomach of like sinking. Like still to this day, when you drive up to the front gates of the academy, it's like, oh, back. It's not a good feeling. It gets over quickly, but it's, it's still a shock to the system. I'm a person who I actually really enjoyed. Like outside of that pit in my stomach driving on campus, I actually really enjoyed my time there. As tough as it is, you're there with a lot of really great people and you're all kind of suffering together, which makes the suffering a little bit, I think, easier. And it definitely creates really strong bonds. I just remember the marching and running everywhere and being in cadence. Yeah, I still, sometimes when I walk, I still have that left, right in my head. Like that. Yeah. Great. Oh, and the drum. Yeah. The drum, someone would always have to be doing uh, marching tours. That sounds still in my head too. People when they get in trouble have to do marching back and forth. Yeah, that's a good sound. This is one of the women's basketball players, Melissa Martinelli. The cadets on Friday, you do this pass and review, which is where they all march out onto the field in front of the main building. And there's a point where they fire a cannon. It's like 10 or 12 times or something in a row. And it's so jarring. It's funny now, looking back on how quickly you can get used to such strange things. Like, the Academy is this own little world. It's a little bubble of a world. It's own little world that kind of strange things happen. And, and you just never questioned it because that's just how things work there. Like, what other Friday does anyone else put on a very, like a big uniform with a tight choker collar and oddly shaped pants. And then you march out onto a grass field with an old M1 rifle and they're going to fire a cannon a bunch of times. A lot of it is this military tradition, but it, it's a little odd. In the evening in the mess hall or in the cafeteria, the food, all the service cabin, we loved the food there. And 
the master chef in the back, we used to call him the godfather. It was amazing. It was so good. And that honestly, like out of all of the mess hall experiences I had during my four years at a service academy, Coast Guards was the best. This is women's basketball All-American, Natalie Moyer. I suppose a sound perfecting the ability to pass out in your uniform, face down on your bed with the door open 90 degrees and hearing something in the hall so that you would wake up and not be sleeping in the middle of the day. Because <laughs> you couldn't nap. You couldn't nap and you, well, you couldn't sleep during the day and between the hours of six and 10, I recall the door needed to be open and 90 degrees smells but being able to walk down the hall and knowing which room was a male's room and which one was a girl's because it was dirty laundry or it was some kind of perfume or candle going down to the gym the sidewalks in the springtime from the academic buildings down to the gym there were a whole bunch of flowers in the landscaping and it was one of the few spots that you could take a picture of and say Oh, yeah, this is what a college campus is supposed to be like. It's students walking down the sidewalk, going to the gym, going to happy place. That was a, just a pleasant photo that I kind of keep in my mind. For Admiral Burho, one sound that he remembers is the quiet. If I had a favorite place, there were probably two. One is the waterfront, but a, one place in particular was the observatory. This is an abandoned observatory that I would go there because I knew, Mark, nobody else would be there. So I would be there to have quiet moments of reflection. It is typical in college sports for players to do impersonations of their coaches. Of course, those were usually done in private. But with time passed and Coach Barry and Bono retired, we were able to get a few players and some others to capture the spirit, if not the voice, of the team's leadership. I can't do a Coach Barry impersonation because you would have to bleep out half of it and it probably wouldn't fit well into the podcast. So the Coach Barry impersonation is the, the one word that comes to mind is tremendous. He would just, that's tremendous. Tremendous job. Tremendous job. Give yourself a round of applause. <laughs> Something like that. He could just go from zero to 100 in any given moment. We'd be going along. Yeah, that's great, Jeff. Keep doing that, Grant. What the hell are you thinking, Steve? <laughs> and just explode. It, it didn't matter what was going on. He could come out of nowhere and just go nuts and lose it. And everyone would just be in shock, not even understanding what he was going off about because of the just trying change of mood. And, and I don't know if I can do necessarily do an impersonation, but I think that the, the, the big one would just be just raising the voice almost, just like elevating himself to, you gotta go, we gotta do this. Or like, you gotta dive on the floor, Jeff, go get the ball, like what are we doing? And so it was always just taking it very monotone at the beginning, but like third or fourth word into the sentence, like we're, we're raising the decibel volume. He had a different thing for everybody, but for me it was like, Grant Johnson, the best left-handed shooting guard from Atlanta, Georgia, the Coast Guard Academy's ever had. That, that was if I was having a bad week bad game or something then he had to get real specific we always thought he was a hippie and he played into that role he'd be talking about some current event and we'd be like we don't know he's like you gotta know johnson you gotta be informed what do you mean you don't know you're gonna be an officer you gotta read oh you don't read come on 
Bono, you'd always get on us because like the Coast Guard Academy resource limited. He's like the one sending out all the recruiting stuff. He would make us all the underclassmen come down there and stuff like the envelopes. I want you to get down here, stuff a few envelopes for me. Uh, maybe I'll get you a, a grinder too. You'd always look at me and just be like, my guy. And a little mixture of Tony Soprano and Joe Pesci would pop out. Bono would usually work himself up. He'd start off calm and he was pretty mild-mannered until you got him, like you pushed one of the buttons and then it was like a series of like Elmer Fudd sounds followed by like bleep, 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 use guys. And then all you could really hear was use guys and bleep, 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 bleep. And you knew that he was probably right and we were probably either not doing or doing something we should or shouldn't be doing. Javon, Javon, what, what was that, Javon? You got to box him out, Javon. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, man. Coach Bono, oh, boy. If I was going to do Bob Bono, it would probably be more of a heavy breath and go with the hands thrown up going, what are we doing here? The best impersonation of Bob, the stomp of the right foot. When he was mad, he would stomp his foot. Wear loud shoes, Mark, so you could hear it all over the gym. It's early on in the season. We're practicing, playing against Jeff Freeback and Craig Johnson. And that's late in practice. And a, a shot goes up, and I, I don't get the rebound. And Coach Bono just gets on me. You know, you got to box out. You got to box out. And my, my just natural reaction, I'm tired. It's just, it's been a long day, is I give him the palms up. And as soon as that happens, it was like a bomb went off. He goes, palms up? He's going to give me the palms up? Are you kidding me? The palms up? But he just, he laid into me probably for a minute. And 60 seconds is a long time if, if you really start counting it. But I will never, ever forget the palms up. And I, I, I don't think I've given the palms up gesture ever since then. Back to serious business for a minute. Remember how I talked about how the head of the Coast Guard, Admiral Thad Allen, was following the Bears through their Elite Eight run? After the loss to her sinus that ended their season, Admiral Allen spoke to the team. Fourteen years later, I asked him to reflect on what he told them. What I told them was the importance of a team at a place like the Coast Guard Academy compared to a team someplace else. What makes an experience like this in the Coast Guard different is that uh, the teammates that you experience that thrill of competition and winning, uh, even, though, even if they didn't go all the way to the championship, is that uh, you will never leave those people again. They will stay as your classmates or those who are just ahead of you or just behind you, and uh, they will become your friends and part of your own personal uh, culture uh, for the rest of your life. And why is that important? Well, teamwork's always important in achieving athletic prominence. Uh, but if you think about the career path that Coast Guard officers go on, uh, whether it's uh, on the water, in the air, or even now in cyberspace, the ability to effectively create a team and go execute a mission is critical to how we serve the public. And so the lessons you learn on the uh, playing floor or on the field are not just passing. And everybody can say that a team effort uh, enriches your ability to be successful in life. But in the military, it goes far beyond that because you are in situations where your teammates will serve with you in another capacity. And your ability to be a team on the field or on the, on the playing floor and deal with adversity transfers directly 
to a high-speed chase in the middle of the night when you're leading a boarding team against a non-compliant boat and you're in a situation where you may have to use force and you may have to put people in harm's way to accomplish the mission. That amplifies the uh, value and the lessons learned and the meaning of teamwork and what you do in athletics. And it's directly transferable to how we serve the American public. So I was able to talk to the team after the game and explain to them the value, even though it was a loss, of uh, what they were able to do and what they were able to accomplish. But moreover, what that would mean for the rest of their lives. And I have run into team members since then. And they are extraordinary people in all kinds of uh, avocations in life, whether it's inside the Coast Guard or out. And they, uh, they still perform admirably. And I know virtually they still think of themselves as a team. Uh, but I think of them as uh, Coast Guard officers and extraordinary individuals that serve their country well. My favorite memories all revolve around watching the games, calling the games, talking to the players, and feeling like I was part of the team. Not the Mets or the Knicks, but being a part of the Bears was just as good. And I think you can sense it from the emotion in my voice as I followed the live stats account of the Coast Guard's 2007 playoff game against Babson while sitting in an empty gym after watching the women's team lose to Mount Holyoke. I actually did play-by-play of myself watching a statistical description on a computer screen for 10 minutes. Here's the ending of that. Men's basketball team, what a season they've had. You could write a book about the way that the season has gone. Loss after loss, just in torturous, torturous fashion. Trying to find a way to just get one. One would take so much off their back. I, mean, I can imagine uh, sports psychologists would have a field day with the men's basketball team and all that they've gone through this season. Grant Johnson makes two free throws. Babson comes down, misses a shot. Coast Guard rebound. Let's see what we got. And I believe that's it. I believe that's it. The men won. The Coast Guard men defeat Babson 70-66. to After the game, I drove to Subway to get dinner, and I have a vivid recollection of getting in my car and screaming, Woohoo! And a moment of both celebration and self-deprecation here. A year later, after the Bears defeated Mass Dartmouth, Coast Guard SID Jason Southard went out with me to celebrate. Found a spot. I think it was like the 99 or something. We went in. There was a huge bar and bartender. I sat down. What do you want? I'm like, hey, I'll take a nice big Coors Light, the tall one. Yeah, great. And he looks at you. He's like, how about you, sir? What do you have? And you're like, "Um, do you have any decaffeinated hot tea? And the guy looked at you like you had three eyeballs. The first voice you heard in this podcast, other than mine, was the writer David Helvarg who embedded with the Coast Guard and spoke glowingly of his experiences. He sounds an optimistic note about the future of the United States Coast Guard. For thousands of years, basically, we chose our leaders from the young men we sent off to kill other young men and the survivors that became the leaders of our tribes and our nations. But today, the threats aren't just other guys with guns. The threats are disasters, both natural and and human-enhanced and industrial and stateless actors and a a range of unknowable threats and young women and men of the Coast Guard who go in harm's way to confront those threats 
I think, are the real sort of new generation of leadership that uh, our nation can look to and hopefully will. A Lasting Legacy is hosted, produced, and edited by me, Mark Simon. Special thanks to all of the men and women who serve and have served in the United States Coast Guard. Thank you for the work you've done, the work you do, and the work you will do in service to our country.